This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen or use the link in the show notes. In an article that appeared on Forbes.com written by Neil Howe titled, You're Not the Man Your Father Was, the author reports that testosterone therapy among men has been drastically increasing based on numbers from 2010 to 2013. While some of this is attributed to drug companies simply pushing TRT, it also reflects an actual problem in the male population. Howe writes, Studies show that men's testosterone levels have been declining for decades. The most prominent, a 2007 study in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, revealed a substantial drop in U.S. men's testosterone levels since the 1980s, with average levels declining by about 1% per year. This means, for example, that a 60-year-old man in 2004 had testosterone levels 17% lower than those of a 60-year-old in 1987. Another study of Danish men produced similar findings, with double-digit declines among men born in the 1960s compared to those born in the 1920s. End quote. But what does this mean for men? So what if testosterone levels are low? Well, how tells us, quote, Rates of certain reproductive disorders like testicular cancer have risen over time, while multiple European studies have found that sperm counts are sinking. These trends coincide with a decline in musculoskeletal strength among young men. In a 2016 study, the average 20 to 34-year-old man could apply 98 pounds of force with a right-handed grip, which was down from 117 pounds by a man of the same age in 1985. Though grip strength isn't necessarily a proxy for overall fitness, it is a very strong predictor of future mortality, end quote. Another valid question arises. What's behind the decrease in T? According to Howe, quote, the answer is complicated. The decline in testosterone levels is almost certainly linked to higher rates of obesity, which suppress testosterone. Many observers put more weight on increased exposure to environmental toxins, such as pesticides, parabens, and chemicals common in household products like phthalates and bisphenol A. Also playing a role are long-term shifts in the ways we work and live. Young men are far less likely to hold jobs in manual labor, so they don't have to be as physically strong as previous generations. Because the problem is multifaceted and complex, our response and the solutions we present must be multifaceted too. We hope to address many of these issues in this episode as I'll be talking with John Moody as we discuss some of the ways that men can deal with this problem of decreasing testosterone. We're going to talk about things like physical health, physical fitness, strength, sleep, and more. It's also worth pointing out that this will be part one of a two-part series with John Moody. So this week we'll get to hear part one. And again, uh, should be next week. Uh, Lord willing, we'll also record and have part two with John to go in greater detail and again, as John will mention in the show, we definitely love your feedback. If you get a chance, uh, find one of the places on social media to reach out, post your questions. I'll probably have a post on social media as well, asking people, hey, do you have any questions about what we talked about or other future issues for men's health? 
The other thing it's worth mentioning is that my friends Brian Sauvet and Dan Burkholder, we are embarking on season two of the King's Hall podcast. So that should be released either this week or next, depending on when you're listening to it. But we've got a couple amazing episodes already in the can interview with Chris Wiley. That stuff will all be introduced early for Patreon supporters. So we definitely encourage you, if you're not yet a supporter of the King's Hall podcast on Patreon, you can go over there and sign up. And you can also sign up to support this podcast. We definitely appreciate that. It's part of this greater work at New Christendom Press that we are establishing a printing press in the style of a cathedral, hopefully, God willing, to last hundreds of years and to be passed on to our great-great-grandchildren. We want to see Christendom built up. And so we thank you for being a part of this work and for all your support. We really mean it when we say we could not do this without you. And for what it's worth, that second season of King's Hall podcast is going to be on the topic of father hunger. What's causing it? What are the symptoms? How do you build a robust household in a world that seems to be falling apart? We're going to be applying so many wonderful principles and talking through them. Really a blue collar guide, getting calluses on your hands for building the new Christendom. So again, stay tuned and follow along with that podcast as well. And last thing I'll say, we definitely appreciate if you're on iTunes, go and leave a five-star review and leave a quick review for us. That helps us get the show out to more and more people. So now you can sit back, buckle up, and enjoy this conversation with John Moody. Welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, joined today by the one and only Mr. John Moody. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, it's good to be back. John, it's good to have you back. And you know what? It's good to be talking about one of my favorite subjects. I know that you have been dealing with this for a long time. We've talked about it on a past episode, but today we're going to go more in depth on the issue of hormone health and specifically testosterone for men. Now, I got to say right out of the gates, I remember... A time when like Weston A. Price, the stuff you guys were doing, I was like, John's a food crazy. Okay. Recently, I'm reading a book <laughs> by Ryan Nationalist. And they're like, you know what? He's talking in there and he's like, you know what's a really good source for nutrition and food is Weston A. Price. And I was like, no way. People, I think you're getting to people, John, is what I'm trying to say here. Maybe getting on some people's nerves, but <laughs> hopefully, yes. hopefully getting through to some. Yes. Yeah, so it's interesting, John, I want to kind of start off just unpacking this issue, but kind of set up kind of the issue overall. Uh, we were talking offline that some of the episodes that I've done on testosterone with Matt Reynolds and Barbell Logic, uh, the one that we did previously, I was a little shocked. Those are my top episodes in terms of downloads, tons of feedback from people on that. Of course, you know, as a pastor, when I started this podcast uh, a couple of years ago, I thought, oh, people are going to be most interested in the theology uh, but it seems like <laughs> there's a real issue, uh, particularly in the church, reformed world. We don't tend to talk about the physical, but I, I wonder if you would just walk me through. It seems like there's a really big physical problem related to hormone health and testosterone. Do you agree? And if so, what do you think is going on? Yeah. So, you know, we have, we have evidence as to what's going on with overall health, both for men and women especially in Western countries. Mm. Um, you know, so I'm going to pull up some of the notes I've thrown down. You know, so as you've talked about on the show, um, testosterone levels are declining radically 
Um, grip strength is dropping in men. Sperm counts are going through the floor. Um, so, you know, so, so whatever metric you want to look at and look at data, the last 60 years to 80 years have been a disaster for male health in Western countries. Yeah, it's interesting too. I, I think on a lot of these, like when you start to look at the numbers, um, one of the things I had read recently was a study that said that I think by 2050, they were predicting like sperm, like it would almost be impossible to reproduce for men. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I wonder if you look at the, the data, the numbers, when you start to think about factors, where do you, there's a lot of things, obviously, and we're going to talk about them, I think, in this show. But what are the factors, the causation here? Is it easy to tell what it is? Uh, what sort of things would you start to point people to looking at? Yeah, so we can group factors into a number of different major categories or buckets. You know, so there's lifestyle factors of modern people. Uh, exposure to blue light, exposure to technology, sleep patterns. Uh, there's dietary factors, you know, in terms of um, aspects of what we eat, how it's prepared, what we don't eat, um, you know, overall dietary stuff. There's environmental factors, the materials we build buildings out of, the clothes we wear, the cleaners we use. Uh, you know, so, so you have these kind of big buckets and in each side of each bucket, there's um, evidence for contributing factors. And then one of the things that makes it difficult is genetic differences in people. So your genetic background makes you more susceptible to some risk factors and less susceptible to other risk factors when it comes to all sorts of things. Um, I saw some crazy video today, but a guy had the gene that made him more likely to have cancer, um, gastrointestinal cancer that had killed his mother. Interesting. Um, and this, this, um, this reminds me of like the Angelina Jolie, for those who know that actress. Like the preemptive mastectomy or something like that? Which I think that's madness. Like just because you have a risk factor does not, in my view, justify radical surgery to remove anatomy. Yeah. But it is good to know that, like, you know, one reason that, um, you know, some guys can get away with some things but not other things is because just their genetics are different. And so, so you have these different buckets of possible causation that get poured over your individual genetics and overall health picture and um, that's why some people get much bigger bang for their buck in one area than another. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting, John, when you look at the numbers, uh, just for people who are interested in the data, this has been, I've seen pretty much across the board, like with testosterone. Um, most studies are showing since the 1980s, something like 1% per year decrease. Uh, another person I think put it that you have like the, a 60-year-old man in the year 2000 has the same T as like a 20 year old in 2022 or something like this. Um, so it, it, it's causing a number of factors too. So you have libido problems, you have strength problems, you have men in general just being uh, apathetic. Um, so societal, cultural problems. And then, um, you know, it plays into church as well. People not being as involved with church um, because of, you know, presumably 
if you have a lack of testosterone, aggression, desire to build, conquer, whatever, I don't know. Um, but it certainly is affecting there. Uh, my question too is, is, is you start to think about what guys could do about it. Like, how do you address this problem? I think one of the things that's frustrating is you think about like the pesticides. Some of the studies I've read on stuff like atrazine, it's like, okay, that by all accounts seems absolutely heinous and horrible, but the average guy feels like, well, what do I do about that? Um, I, I'm not, I don't have the power uh, to change legislation or anything on that. Um, so I, I guess maybe if you just start with there, like what, if you start with the things that we can control, where would you tell people to start in addressing this issue? Yeah. So, so just, you had the Alex Jones moment, yes. you know, the chemicals are making the frogs and fish <laughs> gay, which he was right. They are. It, it's just crazy to realize. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, so what can you control? Where would I start? I always start with diet. So I've always been um, absolutely baffled that Christians in America are so apathetic about what they eat and what they feed their kids. Uh, you know, when I first started thinking through this issue, I'm just like, you would never, if I walked up to you and I was like, I can save you 50% on gasoline, just use this instead of gas in your car. Yeah. You would never do it. And you'd be like, well, because it's too expensive if I mess up my car. Like if your off brand half price gasoline messes up my car, like, dude, that's going to cost me so much. Like your body is way more expensive and difficult to repair than a car guy. Um, and most guys are way more concerned about what they put into their cars than what they put into them, their wife, and their kids. Um, so, so I always start with just like trying to directly address that level of disconnect. Um, and, you know, this issue of, um, you know, we're the people who argue for design. You know, like, like we're, we're like, how do you not see the design, the, the fingerprints of the creator all over everything? But then when it comes to how we do food, how we do medical care, nobody thinks about design. Like you're not made to eat food coming out of a clown head. Yes. You, you know, so, so there's this disconnect between our theology and our practice. Um, so I always encourage people, you know, start with, start with one of the things that you have total control over three times a day in your household. And that's what you put on the table to eat. Yeah, I think it's huge. It's one of the main objections I, I tend to hear is the cost of eating well, particularly as we start to unpack, like, wh what does that actually mean? What, what sorts of things should you uh, be eating? But it is more expensive. I think it's also, correct me if I'm wrong, when you look at, um, I was looking at a, a friend of mine, his Twitter profile today, and he had like, there's like six companies that control the bulk of all US food production. And it's like Nestle, Coca-Cola, it's all junk food. Uh, more or less. So you're getting into things like seed oils, refined carbohydrates, sugar, high fructose corn syrup. And the thing is that stuff is cheap, but there's a reason it's cheap, which is because most of it is subsidized in one form or the other. Um, so, but, but I think it's like telling people like, okay, yeah, but what does healthcare cost? You know, what does it cost yeah. you? And, and it's funny to me, John, like uh, on the testosterone issue, because you have a number of guys who will say, listen, man, you know, buying red meat is just too expensive. I'm like, bro, you spent $300 a month on TRT. You know, <laughs> that's a pretty good meat box, you know? Um, 
and especially I think the other thing I would advocate for people is, um, you know, when you start getting into like buying whole animals, um, you're going to save money, but you're also going to get to something I think that you would say, which is like this nose to tail eating different parts of the animal. Um, so I guess start there. It seems like red meat is a huge part of this. Meat in general is a big part of it. So unpack for me the meat equation of kind of a foundation of a healthy diet. Yeah. So if you look at how Americans ate a hundred years ago or so versus how they eat now, Mm -hmm. they ate significantly more saturated fat. They ate almost no polyunsaturated fats. They ate way more red meat um, and pork. You know, pork is not the other white meat. People who get pork from my farm, they're always amazed at the color of our pork because they're like, this almost looks like steak. It's red. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's so deeply colored. Um, so people, people ate more eggs until the big anti-government egg campaign, which was around the 60s, which was pushed by the cereal industry. For those who want to go look into the, the backdoor dealing that has really defined American dietary policy for 60 some years. Yeah. The conflicts of interest, the buying of science. Um, So, you know, people ate lard and tallow, not Crisco and, um, you know, country crock and even restaurants. So the original McDonald's, um, it was 100% like grass fed beef burgers and French fries cooked in tallow. You know, it, it's wild. It's amazing now because, like, I grew up with the whole, like, it was when, like, seed oils were being pushed as, like, a healthy alternative, right? It seems like that, uh, even um, on, on certain social media um, followings, like Paul Saladino, he'll, he'll pick up some of the food in the health aisle. And it's like, you look at it and it's all seed oil based. It's all a bunch of stuff that you don't want. So, John, one of the things uh, we talk about in the, in the meat equation it's, I guess, adjacent to it is whether something is inflammatory or not. So I guess break this down for me. Um, why would I care if something that I eat is inflammatory? And what does that even mean? So I think it was Time Magazine, back in the late 90s or early 2000s, ran a magazine. And the cover was inflammation, hmm. the, the driver of disease or something like that. Um, And so the reason you want to care about inflammation is having an inflammatory state in your body is highly correlated with developing a number of different diseases, and it's absolutely horrible for testosterone. Mm. Um, Just to give a very simple example of this, so when I was a young kid, I knocked out my two front teeth on four different occasions. Um, that long story, however, I, so they put them back in my head multiple times. Wow. Um, so by the time and, you know, so I'm in seminary, I do like when I was in seminary, I lifted all the time. I was taking protein powder. Like I was really fit in seminary, but I could not gain weight mm. no matter how hard I tried. So, uh, you know, we cleaned up our diet in 2005 but, but even after we cleaned up our diet, I felt so much better, but I still could not gain weight until uh, I realized that these, my teeth 
because they were dead and were up in my body, I had a chronic low-level infection that was driving all my inflammatory markers through the roof. So once I had my teeth pulled out and I got dental implants, like since then I've gained 35 pounds. <laughs> really? It's that significant. That's interesting. You know, so, so inflammation, you can go look at the research, whether it's um, inflammation from environmental causes, inflammation from diet and whatnot. Um, inflammation has this cascade of effects that, you know, hamper your body's ability to fight degenerative disease, hamper your body's ability to fight um, viruses and bacteria and other stuff. And it plays havoc with your testosterone. Um, and so when we're thinking about what you should eat, uh, you know, one of the reasons polyunsaturated fatty acids, aka seed oils and other low quality oils, one of the reasons they're so highly correlated with disease is they're so pro-inflammatory because mm -hmm. um, they're unstable. They break down easily. They go rancid. So now they're oxidized and oxidized things in your body cause inflammation. It's, you know, your body has to mop up um, all of that mess you're giving it. But there's other ways. There's all kinds of um, things you can do dietarily that can tip you into a more inflammatory diet versus less. Um, you know, so uh, a lot of dudes in our circles right now are going carnivore. Um, and the problem with the carnivore diet, there's a study probably, you know, about two or three decades ago, um, where they basically said, you know, eating meat takes a decade off your life. It, you know, is, is the, the big headline right. that made all the news media stuff. What they never told you, they went back and redid that study and they rebalanced the amino acid intake. And so when they rebalanced the amino acid intake, they found no difference in life expectancy. Interesting. Um, and, and there's a good book by Denise Bing Minger called Death by Food Pyramid. She has a whole section on this issue that um, the problem with heavy meat diets in, in Western countries is it's not that we're eating too much meat. We're just no longer eating all of the meat. And so muscle meat, I believe, is really, really high in methionine, um, which is one of the amino acids, and bones and skin and organs and the other parts of the animal are really, really high in other amino acids. And if, if you push your amino acid profiles out of particular historical ranges, that can trigger inflammation just as much as downing a bunch of seed oils. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, John. I was even reading recently, uh, what was yesterday, in the Aeneid. It's in the last quarter of the book, um, but they are going to war with a, the Latin people. And Aeneas, uh, they have this feast to the gods, and they're talking about Hercules. And they said that the, the feast was the best portion, which would give the men strength for war, and so they said it was the fatty portion of the back of the ox uh -huh. along with, and this is what got me, along with the sacred organs, which give life. And I was like, oh, wait yep. a minute. The, even, even the Greeks were like, look, you got to eat organs. So yeah. that's been kind of the thing about, um, even as I've read more about the carnivore stuff, like 
it, it was in past cultures, they would actually, a lot of times like they would cut out tenderloins and stuff like that and just like throw it to the dogs. They're like, there's no fat. Yep. And if you don't have any fat, it's not necessarily better. So interesting. Yeah. It's interesting, John, when you think about the effect that inflammation can have on testosterone, uh, we're advocating healthy meat. Um, the question that I have is, okay, so a book like Sacred Cow, um, it was really good. But one of the things they say in there is that they didn't believe that there was actually anything better nutritionally about grass-fed beef. Um, obviously, there's people that would argue something different. I'm curious your take on that. Does it matter? Um, should I just be happy with my feedlot beef? Um, why would I pay more, et cetera? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Um, so eat wild, I think might have, you, you know, science is tough. You're, you're going to be able to find for every one study that says one thing, you're going to be able to find a study that says the opposite. Yeah. So there's no debate that grass fed beef is better for your cows. You know, uh, a righteous man cares about the life of his beast. Yeah. Um, if you've ever seen a video of a feedlot, um, I think we would all agree that that's not caring about the life of your beast. No. And it's better for your neighbor. So, and you will just, um, as you pointed out, like if you can get into buying a quarter of a cow directly from a farmer, you know, so members of our buying club, I think quarter cows right now go for around $7.50 a pound. Mm-hmm. That means you're eating $7.50 a pound T-bone steaks and other stuff. Um, and grass-fed ground beef in our area is $7.50 a pound. So you're not paying any more for any. It, it's a huge savings across everything. And you get some bones and organs and fat thrown in. Um, you know, so you can make some tallow, you can make your own stock. So, you know, I feedlot beef, because you have to buy it at a store, is expensive, especially if you're buying any of the nicer cuts. Yeah. Um, and they're old. And, you know, you can go look up the videos of them <laughs> yeah. taking old beef cuts, cutting them and then gluing them together with meat glue. Really? And coloring them and putting them. Oh, yeah, dude, there's all kinds of shady stuff in the meat industry. That's crazy. There's the ability now to get food from people in your community to know how it was raised and to get it at a fair price for both parties. And so obviously, if for some reason you can't do that, um, I, I would choose um, store-bought beef over store-bought chicken, for instance, as a general rule. But I'd, I'd really strongly advocate people, you know, especially go after grass-fed meat because, um, you know, again, while it's, you know, let, I, I don't entirely agree that there's no nutritional difference between grass-fed beef and feedlot beef. Um, Mother Earth News a number of years ago to put this discussion to rest with eggs, for instance, they took eggs from a dozen different small farms across the entire country. Hmm. And they had them independently nutrient tested, I think at Rutgers or somewhere. So completely independent nutrient testing facility. 
And on average, the eggs they tested from every single one of these 10 farms were three to 10 times more nutritious across a host of categories than store-bought eggs. Interesting. Uh, you know, so we have some good, independent, conclusive evidence for a number of other, uh, West City Price Foundation paid to have pork fat tested. Mm. So pigs that were raised on pasture in woodland versus pigs that were raised in feed, you know, CAFOs. And once again, like every test showed that the properly raised, naturally raised pigs had significantly better nutrient profiles. Yeah, and it seems like a a big other part of that is stuff like soil regeneration, um, what's actually good for the uh, landscape, the people. So obviously more things that have to be taken into consideration. And I think also one of the things I found is, typically speaking, if you you know, are purchasing from somebody locally, I found it at the butcher, it's really easy, you know, even with Quinn at Salt and Strings, really easy. I said, hey, I want all the bones, I want all the organs. They're like, great. Here they are. You get them all in a bag. I mean, we make, uh, one of the things that I've been eating a lot of is like a carnivore chili, so ground beef, but uh, with beef broth stock. And we're just making that from the bones. And man, that is so good. I could eat, I could, I could literally eat the broth and just consume uh-huh. that. And it is, I don't know, I feel it's weird especially for lunch, if I'm really hungry and I have that afterwards, I feel like a massive energy jump simply from consuming it. And people are looking at me like, why is there, there's like so much fat and stuff in there. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Calm down. It's going to be okay. And you can also, if you get the bones, you can also eat the marrow. Yes. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, if you go to other parts of the world, when they butcher animals with bigger bones, they'd throw the bones on the fire to cook the marrow in the bones and then they crack the bones and suck the marrow out. Yeah. Super, super nutritious. Um, w- one of the things I want to ask you about, John is the kind of the cholesterol myth. So, uh, Ansel keys was a big part of this in the fifties. And, uh, since then, the uh, U S government, uh, USDA and other have adopted this view, uh, that cholesterol is bad for you. Um, I think a lot of people, carnivore, paleo, and other have said, uh, hold on a minute, there's there's more to this. Uh, in fact, it turns out cholesterol is necessary for brain health, uh, even for the production of testosterone. So talk a little bit about that. Um, I know you, Weston A. Price has had quite a bit of information on this as well, but what, what's the deal with cholesterol? Yeah, so my friend Chris Masterjohn, I think he has a phenomenal series of articles on the West N.A. Price website, all about cholesterol. And, you know, as you said, um, cholesterol is used by your body in an almost limitless number of biochemical processes. Mm -hmm. Like take vitamin D. Your body, if you have low cholesterol levels, cannot synthesize vitamin D from sunlight. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the sex hormones in both men and women Uh, cholesterol is a crucial part of the sex hormone production cycles. Um, You know, so it's it's no surprise that after 60 years of anti-cholesterol rhetoric that was not founded on any good science, Denise Minger, Master John, a bunch of them all go over this um, and, and more modern research and other stuff. 
that we're seeing, you know, like kids who were from parents on low cholesterol diets and then raised on lower cholesterol diets are not um, developing male and female as wow. they're supposed to. So Weston A. Price, they, they've been careful how they've phrased this, but they've been some of the earliest to point out that the androgyny and sexual confusion you see in Western countries at least has some dietary causation. Wow. Um, you, you know, like you don't see this level of sexual confusion, e even in Greco-Roman times, which were known for uh, certain types of sexual perversion. You never saw um, there. I have an article pulled up on my computer from Substack where um, in some parts of the country, one in four children identify as trans. <laughs> Um, in the schools. One uh, you in know, four, so 25%. So that's crazy. Yeah, you know, so like some of this is cultural, social conditioning, sure. media. But, but what helps set, you know, like it, it's hard for a little boy who whose hormone levels are right to even think about being a little girl. Like you already have to have some preconditioning factors that suppress natural development to make the so social cultural conditioning so effective right. in my mind. Well, it, it seems like too the, um, you know, a lot of the older studies found like we, we took like tribes, people from the islands, like Polynesian islands who are not on Western diets and they didn't have rates of chronic disease, Alzheimer's, cancer, et cetera, heart disease. It's interesting because you bring them to the, to the Western world, you start feeding them a Western diet and they start developing all those same conditions. So maybe I think a lot of it could be tied to that same uh, sort of thing where it's like, well, yes, uh, you know, certainly we have these cultural things that we, you know, terrible practices, sex education uh, being one of them really horrible, but there's also setting up the, you know, physiological factors with hormones and stuff like that, that make it more palatable uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, one of the questions, John, I think is there are some people who look at this and they say, okay, there's some bad things going on, uh, you know, fertilizers and stuff like that, but there's just a bunch of people at the top who don't know any better. Um, it's not nefarious. They're not trying to, they're not now. I happen to think when you look at feminism, Marxism, and then the food and the people who control food, and you look at things like raw nationalists and uh, their documentation of the World Economic Forum and what they're specifically trying to do with food, I have a really hard time believing it's not nefarious. Uh, I'm curious your opinion on that. Like, do you think that is, is it too far to say that they're like trying to neuter people? So I've appreciated that. Suave on Twitter has been going after this issue. Yeah. In the sense of Suave's bringing up, you know, most Christians just don't don't actually believe Satan's schemes. Yeah. In any meaningful way. Even when they're in broad daylight. Uh, yeah, you know, so in my view, um I think it's undeniable, you know, when James Cameron, that movie director comes out and says, "We we must um, what did he say about testosterone? Basically, you know, like testosterone. Yeah, we need to banish testosterone. It's a toxin. We need to get rid of it. 
like how, how, how at that point when the people just speak this forthrightly and plainly. Yeah. Cause, cause I mean, in a very real sense, when you say we need to ban testosterone, you are saying we need to ban biblical maleness. Yeah. And the source like, of it. Like, so, so, you know, like, like that's just what it means. We must ban male and female. We must make everyone feminine. So, you know, the problem is what you have is you have a small group of people who really do honestly think this way and they really do pull some of the levers and push some of the buttons that control things at corporate, national, international levels. And then just just like in any point of history, you have all the people who go along with it, um, not nefariously, um, either because it's highly profitable mm. Or because they're just too dumb to think the people above them would do bad things. <laughs> yeah. And it, I guess the thing is with like World Economic Forum, I look at it and this is what Rand always says, but they are literally telling you what they're doing. They have published yeah. studies that they're doing this. And I think he, he's echoing something that I've heard you say a lot earlier than he did, which was food is warfare. It's a means <laughs> of conducting warfare on people. And I'll be honest, when John said it the first time, I was like, okay, well, he's got crazy hair and John's kind of out there, you know? And, but now after 2020, I think this is the thing. Like go to the grocery store. Every meat aisle now that I've seen has a little small section that nobody buys it right now, but it's like the bug meat and the factory meat and the fake whatever, plant-based fake whatever, plant-based meat. Um, like they say they want to push it, there's economic incentives further for them to do it. Uh, kind of Ren's case is that it's really all just big food. And like Tyson chicken is just as happy to transition to a factory based meat product that they own the hundred percent of the production process on. Right. They're fine with that. They just oh, yeah. want to keep making money as big food. Uh, I guess that's the other question. Is there a way Ren would argue uh, in the eggs Benedict option, I just finished that. He kind of argues that localism is kind of the way out of this. Um, but in your estimation, like how do you beat big food? They've got tons of resources. They've got tons of money. Um, maybe this is, I, I feel like it's one of the last places we see the raw, like rebellious masculine in a good way, rebellious masculine spirit with people like yourself, Joel Salatin. Um, I've been encouraged just because you guys were doing something. Uh, a lot of people complain about it, but I don't know. Do you think that big food can be taken out? Can it change? What's the prospectus on that? Yeah, well, I mean, big food is long-term doomed. It's a, comp it's a system that is propped up by hundreds of billions of dollars of taxpayer subsidies. Yeah. And a constant blind eye turned to the ecological disaster. So, you know, listeners can go look this up at the mouth of pretty much every single major river in America, where it enters the ocean is a hypoxic zone because of all the chemical runoff from our agricultural system. What does that mean? Hypoxic? It means there's no oxygen um, in the in the water anymore because the chemicals cause algae blooms, the algae eat up all the oxygen, and now you have dead water. Really? Um, so, or, or go look up the soil, um, 
So, man, I, I wish I didn't pull these numbers. I didn't think we were going to go this direction. Ah, you never know, right? But, um, you know, like, look up how much soil the United States loses every single year because of our agricultural system. Um, I think we lose, on average, something like over like two to five tons an acre of soil. Yeah. So the first one that I pulled up was from UMass EDU. It said Midwestern U.S. has lost 57.6 billion metric tons of soil due to agricultural practices. And I think this is over 60 years. The annual in certain parts, the annual is uh, Midwestern loses. It says on average two millimeters of soil per year, which doesn't seem like a lot, but then that adds up pretty quickly. Yeah. The topsoil, from what I understand too, this was Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf's book, Sacred Cow, they were talking about that you're talking about something that took at least a couple hundred, if not thousands of years to develop this pasture land of the Midwest, which is buffalo and creatures yeah. and the grasslands, all of such, which has been eradicated. And I think the it's almost a Frankensteinian project where you're like, well, we'll just inject more chemicals uh, into the soil. And they're like, yeah, no, there's enough atrazine in, it was one Midwestern state in the water table that they said it would delete the sacks of any creature. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And and NPR had a, NPR had an article based on a study, but I think that the study said one third of the the central part of the United States um, acreage had completely depleted all of its topsoil. Mm. And, you know, the, the, to help listeners understand, um, you know, the difference between topsoil and subsoil is organic matter. Um, and organic matter, you know, so like everybody's like, man, why is flooding so much worse um, in the United States now? So if you take a, an acre of land and you increase its soil organic matter by 1%, I believe that increases the amount of water that acre of land can hold by 20,000 gallons. Hmm. So the Midwest used to be soil that ran, you know, 6 to 20% soil organic matter. Wow. Now it runs... 2%, 1%, or places that have no topsoil left, it runs no percent organic matter. So all of the water that these regions used to hold, you know, southern Indiana is just north of me. And in the 30 years I've been observing southern Indiana, I always hear people complain more and more, like the flooding in southern Indiana is so much worse. Yeah. But we're... We're two more decades of industrial row cropping in Southern Indiana. We're two more decades of, you know, dropping soil organic matter. So, so where does the water go, guys? And then, but then they're always in drought by summertime, right. which their parents don't remember. And, and the, you know, the World Economic Forum is going to blame all of this on global climate change. And I'm like, no, guys, like th- this is you reap what you sow. Stewardship matters. As a global study from 2021 pointed out, people who lift weights just 30 to 60 minutes per week increase their lifespan by up to 20%. You heard that right, 20%. 
Other studies have shown that strength is one of the factors tied most directly to increasing your longevity. Interestingly enough, this holds true at any age. In other words, whether you're 18 or 87, you greatly increase your chance of living longer simply by doing some form of strength training. Speaking of which, I've been lifting weights through Barbell Logic online coaching for about nine weeks now. I'm working with my trainer, Matt Reynolds, three workouts per week, and I've increased my deadlift and squat by over 100 pounds, and that's just nine weeks. My bench press has increased by almost 50 pounds. I've never had weightlifting coaching, but with custom-tailored workouts and constant feedback from Matt after my workouts, I've been able to improve form, increase weight, and grow much stronger in a very short period of time. My deadlift is now up over 285 pounds, my squat is over 275 pounds, and my bench press is over 220 pounds. Are you ready to improve your strength, get in better shape, and increase the number of productive years, God willing, that you have on earth? Well, sign up today for Barbell Logic's online coaching, and your first month is always free. They'll pair you with the right coach to meet your training needs. So visit barbelllogic.com slash hardmen to get paired with a coach today and start your weightlifting program. You can also check the link in the show notes. It's interesting, John. I, I was just reading this uh, in Rush Dooney. I think it's book one of the Institutes of Biblical Law. But he's talking about the Sabbath, uh, so fourth commandment. And he said, note very carefully, he said, the thing that is that you're commanded to give rest to is not just man, but he said animals. And he said, particular, I thought that was really interesting. This so is an old book. But he said, the thing that you're supposed to give rest to is the soil. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. So you have the Sabbath, and then every seventh year, you're supposed to leave the land fallow. But it's really interesting because you're like, well, what that flies in the face of is the whole industrial food system and the way that it operates. Because we're basically saying to the earth and to creatures, you have no rest. You will not have rest. We're going to find cheat codes to get around that. But every time you do, it's, it starts really destroying human health, the health of the soil, the health of the animals. Um, as you mentioned earlier, like the righteous man is not cruel to his animal. And it's just interesting with Sabbath that even they were supposed to be rested on the, on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath. So yeah, really. Yeah. And, and I would just draw, draw it together like this. We're like, well, why is a show on testosterone? Why are we talking about soil? And all of that stuff. I think what's interesting scripturally, Adam's name means from, from the earth, from the dust. Right? So he, th- there's always going to be, in human nature, there's going to be a connection between the earth, the soil, and the man who works the soil and came from the soil. The only difference is he's, you know, breathed with the spirit of God. So it seems like if we want to answer questions, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like this is why you have to answer them holistically. Like you can't just say, oh, you want healthy men. Like, let's just zoom in on one feature of man's diet even. But it's like, you do kind of have to look at the whole thing. Do you agree with that? Disagree? What are your thoughts? No, I totally agree. And, and it's not that every single one of us has to do all of these things. No. You know, but, but this is why like we're having this show is guys like you and I, we spend a lot of time looking at this and we want to help other guys. And we know they might be looking at other areas and they help us in one area. We help them in the other. Sure. Years ago, I went to a friend's farm in, um, he's right off the Mississippi in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And his farm is a pasture, uh, 
pasture beef operation. His neighbor's farm was a row crop operation. And I wish I wouldn't have lost this picture. But I took a picture of where the two farms met at the fence row. And it was a two foot difference in height. Yeah, it it was was just like, and and that picture to me was the picture between a, a system that looked to future generations and stewarded the earth versus a system, you know, extraction versus inheritance. Yeah. Um, You know, so biblically speaking, I'm to leave an inheritance to my children. Um, You know, the way I've always summarized this is, um, you know, everything that God gives me, I should leave in better condition than when it came under my care. That's what it means to be a good steward. So it's not enough that I just preserve it the way it is. That's what Jesus condemned one of the servants for in the one parable of the talents. He's like, just giving me back what I gave you doesn't make the cut. Make it fruitful. Yeah. Make a return. You know, but, but if you want to be healthy, you know, if the animals you're eating aren't healthy, that eventually impacts your health. If the way your food is raised destroys the environment around you, that eventually gets back to you. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, John, I, I want to ask you about this before you move away from food, uh, or at least the the quality foods, and particularly cholesterol. But I just love this this tidbit. Uh, there was a bumper sticker that said on it, "Butter is for lovers," and uh, I want you to explain this bumper sticker to me and what possible sense it could make uh, in relation to food and testosterone and sexual health. Yeah, so it was a Weston A. Price bumper sticker, and it was basically to if you want to have great sexual hormones and thus have sex drive and a good sex life, traditional foods like butter that are full of cholesterol and saturated fat are what um, are, are the are some of the foundations for that. Yeah. So more butter. You know, whereas country, yeah, country crock ain't going to help you. <laughs> no, it's going to be it's going to be on the negative uh, side. So. As you, we, we move into then kind of some of the foods that you should avoid. Um, we talked a little bit about this in, in terms of seed oils, but what goes on your list of stuff you say, yeah, that, that's, you want to pretty much avoid that at all costs? I mean, foods with processed uh, protein ingredients, um, you know, soy protein. So there's so many foods out there that are protein fortified. But it's always low quality protein, pea yeah. protein, soy protein, this, that, and the other. You know, the, the, big, the big thing is we don't so much avoid a lot of foods in our house as we just make sure they're properly raised and properly prepared. Mm. Um, I'm not a big fan. You know, it's like you, you meet the um, anti-bread people. And at least for a Christian, Jesus is the bread of life. Now, you know, we could say modern grains aren't raised properly. Modern grains aren't prepared properly. Uh, the, the promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, you, you, foods that the Bible has declared good, we want to treat as good. And again, we, we can differentiate, you know, I will not drink pasteurized store-bought milk, even if it's organic. But that's not because milk is inherently bad. 
You know, I don't want to eat store-bought pasteurized honey. That's not because honey is inherently bad. I want to be able to enjoy the plethora of good things God has given us. I just need to make sure they're actually going to be good for me. You know, so my simplest rule is if I don't know what's on the label of something, if I need a high school or college (laughs) degree in chemistry, (laughs) then it's probably not food. Um, And I don't eat those things. Um, You know, so we eat hamburgers and we eat pizza and we eat chicken nuggets Um, But we make them or we buy them from sources that make them from actual food instead of making them in a laboratory uh, to, you know, pad their profits. Yeah, I had had generally heard something like, you know, I forget who said it, but they were like, if it's got a food label on it, uh, at least it's probably not food. It's probably not food. (laughs) Yeah. Which is kind of the irony there. Uh, I am curious on the flour and the wheat. so we did carnivore. Um, it was really good. Dan and I did like the carnivore 90 days that uh, really enjoyed it. But ultimately, John, here's the deal. I like spaghetti squash and I like <laughs> some other things in my life. Okay. I'm going to be real with you. Uh-huh. Um, but one of the questions I've had like legitimately is like, okay, uh, some people have recommended like einkorn. I think einkorn wheat, uh, some yeah. other things. I, I'm with you. I'm like, okay, well, I cannot possibly say that carbohydrates are like bad for you. And uh, I don't, a lot of it is I don't buy into the evolutionary theory. So, I'll, you know, when you read like Paul Saladino, he's like, well, we know that 397 billion years ago that cavemen only ate this diet. And I'm like, Paul, I, it's hard for me to take you seriously now. Uh, Got a just time kinda, machine? Kind of pat him on the head and be like, oh, that's cute, honey. And stupid. Okay. Um, so that's my question with bread. Like what would be a healthy way to eat bread is the, you know, I've heard the same arguments like, well, they're not, you know, there is a difference with like processed flour, stuff like that. Uh, anyway, what do you make of it? What what advice would you give? Yeah. So, you know, the, the science shows two major things about grains. Well, really three things that this is just the science. Modern strains of wheat are genetically unlike um, species of wheat from even 150, 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. So West Sydney Price Foundation has a great article on the genetic history of wheat. uh, That's a real eye opener. Uh, Second thing is when you take grain and you turn it into flour, if you don't cook with that grain relatively soon after turning it into flour, a lot of the best nutrients in that grain and the fatty acids in the grain oxidize. Interesting. You know, so because think about it, what is a grain? It's a storage form of life. Um, And so the grain is meant to protect everything the plant needs to grow. So when you grind the grain and break that protection, the stuff inside is no longer protected. Um, so I think it's like after 72 hours, a number of vitamins and other things in whole grains um, lose 50 to 100 percent of things like vitamin E and all this other stuff. Wow. And the fats go rancid. Um, so then the third thing we know that's just just incontrovertible science is whole grains contain a number of anti-nutrients 
that if you take them and you grind them and you eat them, they can do damage to your gastrointestinal system. And a number of studies show they actually leach minerals from your body. Uh, So a number of historical nutrition researchers have pointed out this might be why during times of fasting, cultures like the Israelite culture were required to eat unleavened bread. Interesting. Um, Because unleavened bread unfermented, unsourdough bread, it would leach out heavy metals and other stuff from your body. So doing it for a brief period of time would actually be health promoting, but doing it on an ongoing basis is actually health destroying. Interesting. Um, you know, so this is another thing for people to think about. There's stuff you can do dietarily for a season that's actually really good for you. You know, Doing carnivore for 30 days can be actually really good for you because our ancestors um, our ancestors did not have access to a perfectly balanced diet 365 days a year. Right. Um, you know, when you read about their diet, because of the calendar, because of all, all sorts of factors, there's up and down patterns to diets, especially outside of tropical and subtropical zones. So, you know, how do we eat grains? We focus on mainly older strains of grains that haven't been so genetically tampered with. And we use traditional preparation methods for preparing those grains. So we eat bread, we eat waffles, we eat pancakes, um, but you know, we eat muffins. We had banana bread muffins, um, but we use the traditional preparation techniques and we mill the grains ourselves in house. So, where do you typically get them, and and what would you recommend? Yeah, where do you get them, and what would you recommend? Oh, where you get grains? Um, you know, we're really fortunate. There's an um, an organic Amish farm cooperative up in Ohio that we get all of our small grains from. Um, and you know, for everybody else in the country, there's Azure. Azure makes a wide variety of grains like spelt and. Um, einkorn and stuff available, you know, at, at much better prices than anything you're going to find in your health food store for yes. sure. And then, um, in terms of preparation, you mentioned the preparation process. I'm guessing you're just grinding it much closer to when you're going to use it, or what else do you do? Oh yeah, I mean we grind it and then we immediately prepare stuff. Um, and you know, this is why my wife, I had her write a book on sourdough. Because we met so many people like, well, I want to do sourdough, but they could never figure out how to schedule that into life. And so people have said like the thing they love most about her sourdough book is the preparation schedules they can use that are actually sustainable for a busy family. You know, and like the little bit of flour we don't use, we throw in the fridge. Um, And then we have, you know, all sorts of bubbling jars on our counters with sourdough starter and this, that, and the other living thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so John, I want to transition now from food. We've talked about, you know, some good things to eat, some things to avoid. Uh, the next thing I want to ask you about is sleep. Uh, it seems like everything that I've read, a bunch of the research, right? You're going to talk about sleep is kind of the one thing where people tend to overlook it, especially in a very busy American culture. 
Uh, we've had a lot of people in the past who have celebrated, uh, you know, hey, I don't sleep or I sleep four hours a night. It's really great for me. Uh, but you always will find uh, generally a decline in health associated with that. So talk to me about sleep. Why is that important for testosterone and hormone health? Whether you're in college trying to cram for a test while staying up all night at the library or you're pulling graveyard shifts, research show there's a clear pattern of risk here. Sleep loss dramatically lowers testosterone in healthy young men. According to a study done by the University of Chicago Medical Center in 2011, quote, cutting back on sleep drastically reduces a healthy young man's testosterone levels. Eve Van Cotter, PhD, professor in medicine and director of the study, found that men who slept less than five hours a night for one week in a laboratory had significantly lower levels of testosterone than when they had a full night's sleep. Low testosterone has a host of negative consequences for young men, and not just in sexual behavior and reproduction. It is also critical in building strength and muscle mass, along with bone density. Low testosterone levels are associated with reduced well-being and vigor, which may also occur as a consequence of sleep loss, said Van Cotter. At least 15% of the adult working population in the U.S. gets less than five hours of sleep a night and suffers many adverse health effects because of it. This study found that skipping sleep reduces a young man's testosterone levels by the same amount as aging up to 15 years. End quote. As it turns out, sleep really does matter when it comes to hormone health. Maybe Psalm 127 verse 4 is truer than many of us might have known. Of course, that verse says this. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, that is God, gives to his beloved sleep. That's right, sleep is a gift from God made to restore and refresh our bodies. So, if you want to promote the male hormones that help fuel manly action in daily life, well, there's no substitute for a good night of sleep on a regular basis. Yeah, so um, sleep is when your body does maintenance and repair. Mm -hmm. um, and w one of the biggest things sleep does um, especially if you get temperature, right? So I gave a talk at the Weston A. Price Conference a number of years ago called um, Light, Temperature, Noise, and Sleep. Um, and because some people have started to think through the, the, the impact of modern lighting on sleep. Mm. But very few people had began to talk about the relationship of temperature to good sleep and the relationship of noise. Interesting. Um, the, and so it, it's really, you know, th there's these light, temperature, noise. These three things um, really impact your ability to get good quality sleep. So just like food, there's good quality sleep, there's bad quality sleep. Um, and we want good quality sleep because good quality sleep is when our body can do the heavy lifting to repair, maintain, replenish. Um, other things. So we got a bunch of studies that show, you know, dudes with sleep apnea have lower testosterone levels yeah. and other health problems. Um, people who just chronically undersleep, you know, it's a pretty significant 10, 15% drop in circulating testosterone levels. So, so sleep is just a crucial thing. And I meet so many people who don't get good sleep. Like they just tell me like, I just can't sleep. I just don't sleep well. 
Um, and so I'm always trying to get them to understand the basic principles they can apply to get back to sleeping better. Yeah, it's really interesting too. Uh, one of the things that I've seen a lot of studies on uh, is, you know, morning wood or having an erection in the morning being also a sign of actually, I think it's something like f- five sleep cycles. You'll actually have multiple erections through the night. And it's actually one of the ways I think they check guys for ED later in life. Um, because if you're not having that, it's something with blood flow and circulation that it's a, like, it's actually a healthy part of God's design that, that that's happening. Um, so it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like that would be another thing to evaluate men's health. It could be a pretty useful tool. Um, are you having erections in the morning? Um, have you heard the same stuff? Yeah. And you know, it, it's a, if you can't afford or can't get your doctor to test your testosterone and some other stuff, it's a very easy at home test that, you know, if you want just like a baseline, if I, if you have low testosterone, one of the ways it will come out is you will not have morning erections. And so it's just like a really easy, um, you know, way to tell, you know, what, one of the things that one of my understanding in this area is, you know, when you go to sleep, one reason you want to sleep in a cooler bedroom and one reason it's good to sleep commando is that lowers the temperature of your body and that gets your gonads to synthesize the, you know, that drop in temperature um, gets them to synthesize greater amounts of testosterone. And then as you go into the morning hours and the temperature rises and whatnot, um, you know, so those, so there's this interplay. Um, yeah, really this is also why light exposure at night, especially to the blue light spectrum, um, from after, you know, eight or nine o'clock on, it suppresses, you know, so light and temperature together suppress this cycle functioning properly through the course of the night. Interesting. Um, you know, so, so your listeners have probably heard about, you know, circadian, circadian rhythms. Yep. Um, you know, this is, this is like so cool to me because this is the interplay between Bible and creation. You know, God says he's given us the sun and the moon to mark days and weeks and seasons. And then science says, you, you know, your body has daily rhythms. It has weekly kind of rhythms. Um, your wife clearly has a monthly rhythm. Um, and her monthly rhythm, if she's healthy, is tied to the moon. Um, historically speaking, a really? woman's period was called a moon time. Because before modern light, um, most women would have their period very close to at or just after the full moon. Really? Um, And so modern lighting has really messed up what used to regulate things. So, um, you know, so when we're thinking about sleep, we want to make sure we're getting sufficient sleep. And then we want to take steps um, and, and this is also a good health check for your wife. If she's constantly cold, that's a sign she has hormone issues or pre-hormone issues. So Jessica, early on in our marriage, she'd just be cold all the time. Um, and as we improved diet and supplemented her properly, um, she doesn't complain about like her feet being cold or being so cold and stuff at night anymore. Um, cause you, you really want to sleep in a bedroom. I think we keep our bedroom 
I try and keep it in the low 60s, which a lot of guys tell me they're like, my wife would freeze to death. I go, no, I go, your wife needs better food and she needs to be exercising and you need to look at her hormone health because you both need those lower temperatures to for your body to properly regulate. Yeah, I was even reading a, I was, well, no, no, it was a, it was on Instagram the other day with Andrew Huberman. He had somebody on and they were talking about like, you don't hit deep sleep until your brain has to drop like three or four degrees. It, it was fairly significant. They were like, that's why people sleep better if it's colder. Whereas if you're in a really hot room, it's very hard to get into a deep sleep. Uh, and it, it's tied to your brain as well. Cause again, your for whatever reason, your brain's like, yeah, I need it to kind of cool off. And then I can go into like that, that deep freeze mode. And that's when all the magic happens with the restorative hormones that are pumped through your body while you're not awake, which is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's one reason I don't sleep on two pillows, but I have two pillows for my head. Mm -hmm. And the first one is just to burn off warmth. Cause, cause how many, you know, how many of you like, do you, nobody seems to like a warm pillow. No, no. You know how you flip your pillow as you're going to bed and you're just like, um, so they now actually um, sell things called like a chili pad really? and it goes in your bed and it circulates cold water to help you cool down. So, really? the, you know, if it's too expensive to cool because you don't want to cool your whole house. Um, so it's a way to cool just where you're sleeping to bring down those temperatures so you can get better, more productive sleep. That's really interesting too. When you think about men, most of the men I've known in my life, like they're either sleeping in underwear, shirtless. And you know, a lot of times, yeah, you would be wives are in pajamas and stuff like that. That was, that was an early debate in our marriage where my wife was like, you don't wear pajamas. And I was like, never like, and I think part of it is probably that desire of like, you get in bed and it was like, I, I don't want to be too hot. I absolutely don't want to be too hot. Can't sleep that way. Yeah. So, so you want to control temperature. Um, you want to control light. So our bedroom is a no blue light zone. And I'm trying to get us back to, we were doing this before we got sick over Christmas. Um, after eight o'clock, it's no phones. Um, no phones, no computer and stuff after eight o'clock. Um, unless, you know, I just really have to do something. And then I, you know, use blue light blockers and stuff. Because um, your body needs that time to prep for sleep, to begin to drop other hormones and things in your body. Um, and if you're in a city or in an area that's too bright, then, you know, you need to block out light coming through your windows. Um, so you can make your own light blocking curtains. Not that hard. Um, you'll be amazed. It's, it's so hard for me when I'm on the road speaking. Because, you know, we live an hour outside of Louisville on 35 acres. So there's a little bit of glow from Louisville, but not too bad. Um, and then our bedroom doesn't face Louisville. And then we have curtains. So when I'm speaking, if they put me up in a hotel, you know, I talked with my friend Chris Masterjohn about it. He's like, yeah, he's like, I travel with duct tape. And he'll duct tape the scenes yeah. on the door. Yeah. Um, what I started doing is I always get a room with two beds. And I take all the blankets and pillows off the other bed and I block the door because it's so bright in the hotel room. I literally can't sleep properly. Yep. 
Um, and that's when you begin to realize like, oh, like this is so unnatural once your body is functioning naturally. So um, make your bedroom as low tech as possible. You can buy alarm clocks if you need an alarm clock that are red light rather than blue light spectrum. Um, you know, kick your phones out of your bedroom. You know, get used to sleeping in a colder bedroom, um, especially for guys. Um, cut down on especially lower body. Go with something loose if you need to wear something or go commando. Um, unless you're like in the hood and you're going to need to be getting up real quick. And about, you know, yes. uh, but cooler is better. Um, and then noise wise, if you're in a city, um, you know, all through the night, barking dogs, slamming car doors, other doors and stuff. Um, something as simple as a fan for white noise can radically improve the quality of your sleep. Um, because, you know, our, our brains are wired um, to respond to risk. Um, and so part of the problem in the modern world is it used to be all your neighbors would be sleeping at night unless something is wrong. And now this neighbor works second shift and this neighbor works third shift and this neighbor's just a night owl. Um, and you have all of this light and noise pollution, which should not exist during sleep cycles. And you need to mitigate those things so that you and your family can sleep better. And you'll be amazed at just how much better you feel and function. How much of that is, I know a lot of people use fans. A lot of people use like white noise. How much of that? Do, do you use any of that? Uh, any merit to it? Yeah. I mean, we use fans. I, um, okay. It's, I forget where we were traveling recently, but we walked, um, the people were helping us unload our van. And the first thing they go is they go, um, you travel with a box fan like we do. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've I've found it to be just immeasurably helpful. Um, you know, if if the grid goes down, I I'm going to make sure I have a single solar panel and a small battery that holds enough charge to run a box <laughs> fan through the night. Um, you got to be able to sleep well. Other things. Yeah, but man, sleep is just like crucial. Yes, uh, it's kind of closely connected to the next thing I want to talk about, John, which is exercise. So one of the things that I found is I also sleep better when I'm not a lazy slug all day long uh, or sitting or, you know, even like it's really weird. Like if we uh, the other night we were watching the national championship complete beatdown of uh, TCU, not much of a game, but it was kind of a unique thing for us because like the last couple hours before bed was in front of a TV, which we don't normally do. But I found it really hard to go to sleep that night. Um, whereas like if I have a really physical day, I've uh, got the barbell training, whatever, doing work, uh, when you get into stuff like that, it seems like it helps with being able to sleep at night. I went to bed last night. I had, uh, it was a deadlift squat and overhead press day. And so I was fried <laughs> and literally it was like, I got in bed and the minute my head hit the pillow, I was pretty much lights out. I think that's a good, it's a good place to be. But talk to me just a little bit about exercise, lifting. Um, why is this so important for hormone health? It's sometimes hard to say conclusively which factors allow people to live longer. But one in particular stands out for its verifiable connection to overall lifespan. And that is grip strength. 
According to a 2022 study published by the Oxford Academic on Age and Aging, which closely studied more than 2 million people from around the world, quote, there is evidence supporting an inverse association between hand grip strength and all-cause mortality. A meta-analysis with 2 million participants found higher levels of hand grip strength to be associated with lower risk of all-cause mortality, irrespective of age and length of follow-up. Studies also show consistent associations of hand grip strength with cardiovascular mortality, end quote. Typically, the study reports, grip strength decreases by 1% after your midlife. The obvious conclusion is that if you can find a way to offset the loss of grip strength, thus maintaining your grip strength, you have a far higher chance of living longer. This is one main reason why I, along with many others, have stressed the importance of something like barbell strength training, especially for men in their midlife years, because it helps offset this 1% loss of strength that comes with aging. Barbell training with lifts like squats, deadlifts, bench press, and overhead press are remarkable ways to help maintain strength, including your grip strength, and they directly impact your life and health span. The challenge with barbell training, however, is that it's not necessarily easy or intuitive for most people. You don't come out of the womb knowing how to barbell strength train. You need training and feedback from a real person. That's why I use and heartily recommend Barbell Logic, which offers expert online coaching and personally tailored workouts to help you get the most out of your lifting regimen. Barbell Logic offers exclusive access to a world-class app that tracks your progress and serves as an interface for you to upload video of your workouts and receive world-class coaching and feedback. You can sign up today at barbelllogic.com hardmen, and of course, your first month is always free. It's also interesting to note that one of the key ways men have sized each other up over the last many, many decades in Western civilization, well, it's by the gentleman's handshake. According to an article from Inc.com, quote, a handshake can tell you everything you need to know about someone, end quote. Apparently, there's something to this. The article also says, quote, grip long, grip hard. That's what we're usually told from the moment we're old enough to greet someone with a handshake. It doesn't matter how much success we've had or what we're about to achieve. Those few seconds in which we physically connect will reveal more about our character than any letters after our name or the title we have on a business card, end quote. Yeah, so just at a base level, we know increased levels of body fat suppress testosterone production and increased levels of muscle, um, increased levels of testosterone for men. So, so just at a base level, your overall body composition, it directly ties into how your hormone, and it's not just testosterone, dopamine, um, there's just so many different hormones, um, leptin, all of those are largely regulated by overall body composition, or, or at least partially. Um, so having a good body composition. And that also means not being too lean um, because being too lean is just as problematic as being, um, you know, too fat, you know, hitting that range of body types, body shapes that will allow your body's hormone systems to function well. And so lifting exercise um, are you know, especially because modern people, our work is no longer our exercise. 
as a general rule, Wendell Berry had a great essay on this um, where he talked about, you know, one of the, one of the defining aspects of the modern world is things God joined together. The modern world loves to break asunder. So work, which used to both be um, discipleship with your children and education of your children and exercise for you and your children is now none of those things. Mm. All of those functions that were once fulfilled by work, none of them are fulfilled by work anymore. Uh, So exercise is something many men now have to do apart from work. Um, And even if your work is physically taxing, because a lot of work for men is now repetitive, you still have to exercise because your work is only physically taxing in certain ways. And then your body becomes unbalanced and you have back problems, this, that, and the other problems. Um, So exercise is, you know, and especially exercise for men should, you know, in my view, it should primarily focus on, you know, gaining or maintaining muscle, good body composition, then also developing good mobility um, as opposed to flexibility. I really like mobility over flexibility because mobility is the ability to do movements under stress and weight. Um, So I'm a big advocate of mobility programs because those are what let you swing things and do things and other stuff under stress. Um, The other thing I'll add real quick in this topic is if you're a guy who works a job where you normally sit, you need to find a way to rejigger your work so you're not sitting so much. Um, You should really, you know, if you work an eight-hour shift and you normally sit eight hours, um, you want a standing desk, you want to get a little treadmill you can walk on as much of your work as possible as you can do standing um, or squatting or get a kneeling chair. I got a kneeling chair back here. I'm like, man, this thing is great because it lets me kneel on the chair instead of sitting in a chair. But, you know, so it gives me another option other than standing. Um, You really want to rejigger your work for the sake of your overall body health, um, but also especially for your back. Yeah, and especially the other thing I've I've read about that is the um, so much of it's, it's really fascinating how this works particularly when you think about Jacob and his hip, the injury that the Lord gave him, but uh, hip health is so closely related to blood flow, sexual health, all of that, that um, I've heard this from a number of people, but they're like, yeah, men with, uh, especially as you get older, making sure that you have good mobility in your hips, it uh, is going to benefit, you know, sexual health, the ability to get an erection, all that stuff because of blood flow. We also think about old people when you break your hip, like, that's a really serious oh, it's game over. It's game over generally. So yeah, just thinking about when you're in a seated position, what it does to your knees, what it does to your, that's usually where I'm always sore actually is the hip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the that's one area. reason like for this interview, I'm sitting on a yoga ball because it forces me to sit up to engage my hip flexors, my other muscles, my lower back, my QLs. And, you know, your listeners will be like, why does he look like he's moving? Well, it's because we've been talking for over an hour and I don't want to be fully stationary for an hour. 
I was going to say, John, I, I, I thought, man, John had a lot of coffee. John is full of energy. I love it. He came. I've never just, drank coffee, so that can't be the cause. It can't be the cause. Do you, uh, 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 on the liquid intake stuff, do you do tea? Do you do anything? Um, I drink a little bit of kombucha every day, and I drink bone stock. Um, I don't do raw milk usually unless we've made our breakfast cereal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I usually do almost straight raw cream on my cereal um, with just a little bit of milk to thin it out. Um, and then I can dissolve like creatine and other stuff in that. Um, I just drink a lot of good quality water. What about um, one of the things that is interesting is exercise, insulin resistance, blood sugar, the kind of that whole matrix. You know, one of the things about the human body that's interesting is how everything's connected. Um, but if, if you're thinking about that side of the health equation, uh, why exercise? Why would that be a good idea? Yeah. So, I mean, exercise just improves, you know, it improves total body blood flow. Um, it improves lung capacity, uh, you know, so you breathe better and you need to breathe less to get more oxygen. Good exercise increases like oxygen turnover. So your lungs just function more efficiently. Um, and good exercise improves your body's various hormone systems, you know, so there's this positive adaptive stress response that when you exercise, you know, your, your body's cycling of glucose and carbohydrates and so many things just runs better um, as opposed to if you're a couch potato and all those systems just slowly decay. Yeah, it, it also seems like the the obvious thing here would be, you know, if you're obese, um, overweight, uh, in one of those categories, exercise, obviously one of the ways to help build muscle mass combined with healthy eating. Um, it's going to be much better for, you know, if you're leaner, as you said before, you don't want to be too lean, but if you're leaner, you're not in the obese category anymore. Hormone health is going to improve as well. Um, and then muscle mass again, it's going to be it, it really beneficial. You're trying to set yourself up so that the, the stuff is working as well as it possibly could so that you're not, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, my kids and I were laughing the other day. We saw, uh, I think it was like a social media commercial, but it was Gatorade. And they're like, being healthy is so important. And it shows like a thin woman running and you're like, okay. And then it shows like a, I don't know, 280 pound black lady trying to do yoga or Pilates or something. She's like pounding sugar water. And I was like, wait, what? I I don't think that that's healthy, but there, there's a push on that too of culturally of like fat is the new healthy. Oh yeah. That, well, that's, and you know, especially there like for kids, uh, you know, that they're predicting, I think it's like by 2035 or 40, that 50% of kids in the U.S. will be obese. What? So, and at the same time, then I saw an ad on uh, Twitter or somewhere. A friend had posted this clip from, you know, and it's basically, you know, kids as young as 12 should have surgeries or be put on medications for being overweight. Yeah. And, and and you know, like I have six kids None of us, you know, all my kids look, have fantastic body composition. And, and it's, that, yeah, I'm, 
I, I know one dude on uh, Facebook, I think his name's Keith Walters, uh, or it might have been his friend Anthony Deal. One of them posted basically saying, if your kids have poor body composition, it's your fault and you need to repent. <laughs> and I just yeah, love it because I'm just like, I'm just like, it's true. You know, if your kids are pudgy or if your kids are fat, like that's, that's because of choices you've made and you're handicapping your children for the rest of life by doing that. You know, you're handicapping your children, finding a good spouse, you're handicapping them, uh, being able to perform work. Uh, but is, I think, is it Heraclitus? The one Greek philosopher who says, you know, no man should die without seeing the beauty of his physicality fully expressed. Yeah. Yeah. And even in Greek culture, they I mean, that's part of the reason that longevity was as good as it was, is that even to old age, like the old men were training uh, physically in, in the gymnasium. Well, and that's one aspect of Japanese culture. A lot of people don't talk about because you know, people always talk about how long-lived yeah. um, Japanese people are in particular. But Japanese guys who do judo, they do judo into their 80s. Really? Um, they, you know, and they do kata, and they do all of these things. Um, you know, they, it's, it's not like, you know, they eat well, but they also just exercise for life. Yeah, hugely important. Well, John, I want to wrap things up. It's been a fantastic conversation. This is kind of part one. So uh, our fortunate listeners will have a part two forthcoming. They get to hear us talk about these issues. Uh, it's been really fantastic. I appreciate it. Um, for people who want to follow along with your stuff, what's the latest and greatest? Where can they, uh, where can they catch your material? Yeah. So, and, um, and for part two, just to tell listeners, if there's specific things you want Eric and I to talk about. Yes. Yes. Uh, we have... I gave Eric five pages roughly of notes for this episode. I think we're on page like one and a half. We might have to pick <laughs> up the pace. Right. So if there's specific things you really want to discuss, um, you know, there's a couple of things I want to make sure I hit on the next episode in terms of like supplementation, lifestyle choices, supplementation you might need as a man um, for, phys you know, physical performance and sexual health. Uh, but to find me, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm on Gab at Resistance is Fertile. You know, then I have my John W. Moody website that I just have books on. Um, and then we have the Rogue Food Conference website for Joel Salatin and I. And May th if you've never been to Polyface Farm, um, May 13th is going to be our next event at Polyface. So we're going to have a good time. Awesome. What are you guys doing at that event, John? Um, Rogue Food, we basically teach creative circumvention and non-compliance with the government. <laughs> yes. So there, there's nothing like it. And if um, you're a fed, you know, stop we, listening to this episode now. Yeah. Or come and be converted. First yes. be converted to Christ and then be converted to constitutionalism. Yes, exactly. Well, I love it, John. Thank you so much. And uh, as I said, we'll follow up uh, in the next episode. Great. Thanks, man. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast and special thanks to John Moody for being a part of that. Definitely appreciate his insight and wisdom about health and food. As he mentioned at the end, and I'll mention again here, we are going to have a second part, uh, which will be coming out hopefully the week after this show releases. So you'll be able to catch part two of this conversation with John about health and nutrition 
If you're not yet a supporter of the Hardman Podcast, I would definitely encourage you to become one by joining today at Patreon. You can support this show for as little as $5 a month. Not only does that help us build wonderful content for the show and continue this part of reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness, but it also gives you exclusive access to content. You get early content. And depending on the tier you join, you'll also get a bunch of cool swag and there's some other perks as well. So again, follow the show note link to Patreon. You can support this show. Now, I'd also encourage you if you go to ericcon.com, there's a lot of cool stuff there, including an online store. And then you can also do things like sign up for our newsletter just to get updates about what's coming down the pipeline from the Hard Men podcast and yours truly. Big shout out to our Patreon supporters. We definitely appreciate you guys. goes a long way to furthering the work that we're doing here. Again, we want to see more and more men across the country understand what it means to live out a biblically masculine worldview for their household and their family. And may this be a building up of Christendom itself. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. Men.